and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Tim, Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, and my wife is busy working in the pharmacy, so she will not be joining us today. Um, but I'm super excited to have Jen Palazzo on our podcast today. She is a physical therapist, actually, and she uh, is a strength coach. Um, she's a fitness enthusiast, and I'm excited for her to be talking about strength training and the importance of strength training today. As you know, at Health Solutions, we talk about the importance of strength training all the time, whether you're male, whether you're female, um, and no matter the age. So, Jen, without further ado, welcome to our show. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. So tell us a little bit about your history um, and being a physical therapist and now being a strength coach. How did that all work out? So um, I started as a physical therapist back in about 2001, and I worked in a variety of settings. And um, I started off actually working in a a clinic that saw mostly workers' comp um, patients. And it was very frustrating because there was a really low motivation for people to actually want to improve. The longer they treated, the more money they got out of their claim. So they just wanted to go as long as they could because it got them out of work. And it was actually really disheartening. So I actually left um, doing physical therapy for a while. I still did it on the weekends at the hospital, but I worked in insurance setting. Um, And then after about seven years, I went back to it again. And I was like, okay, I'm ready to give it another shot. Um, I started working in a setting that was geriatrics. So it was 55 and older, but mostly independent living. So, um, so people that were still active and out and about, but they were over 55 and I found them to be much, a much different, um, clientele than my prior setting. So they were actually excited about doing some of the exercises and getting stronger. And it was actually really cool because, you know, there's some stigma out there with people getting older and that they're not able to make the same kind of strength gains and, um, and see the same kind of success or focus as much on building muscle as the younger population. And it's just, it's definitely not the case. Yeah. We talk about that often about, you know, age should not be a factor. Um, You know, you can progress. I mean, there eventually age does catch up with you. There's no doubt about it, but you know, the more we train, the more we do resistance training or cardio or whatever, the, the, the more progress we can make. So usually the reason people, you know, start age, quote unquote aging is because they just stop moving like that, correct? Yeah, that's true. And actually I was um, taking a course the other day that was really interesting. And it was talking about, you know, as you age, how a lot of people will lose on average about 1% of strength per year. And that's both loss of muscle fibers and the size of the muscle fibers. But they were talking about whether or not that actually came just because of, you know, normal aging of tissues or if the results are because people tend to be sitting on the couch when they get to that age. So what's truly causing the issues? But if you look at some of the results that people have gotten as they've gotten older, I mean, there was somebody who was 85 who did the Ironman. So it's pretty phenomenal. Well, I'm a, I'm a mountain bike racer and um, I will tell you one of the most competitive classes is the 50 plus class Um, because a lot of those guys that have been doing it for many, many years, they're just as fast, if not faster than they were in their twenties. And partly just because they never stopped doing it. 
Um, and if you look at some, uh, like for instance, a time trial, a bike time trial, the, the world's fastest time, I don't know what it is, like for a, for a, um, an hour time trial, I'm not sure how many miles it was, but um, there's a 55-year-old guy that's like <clears throat> 20 seconds behind him. I mean, so as long as you keep training, you can keep your strength up. Absolutely. But I think one of the things, too, that's kind of interesting is you really have to focus a lot on mixing up what you're doing, balancing your muscles and being careful of injury prevention as you start to get older in your training, because some of those repetitive motions can catch up to you. And, um, you know, if you do end up injured, it's important to fully heal before you really jump back into a full program, because they found one of the things that has happened is that, you know, you start to get arthritis, you start to get some degenerative type other medical conditions that just happen as a part of aging. And um, some of the people who are, you know, excited and determined to keep working out, they'll hop back in without resting enough, which I've done myself in my own training. And, um, you know, as you get older, that's definitely a mistake and it could, you know, take you out for much longer from your workouts. So, well, I think that's one of the most important things. And one of the reasons we should have a coach, especially as we age, because it's not what they tell us to do as much as what they tell us not to do. And, and recovery as we age is so important. It is when we're younger also, but it's so important as we age because we need more recovery. You know, we, we can't work out the intensity or the duration that we used to when we were younger. And that's okay. You just need to, to schedule that into your plan and actually recover more, correct? Yep, that's true. And then be careful about things like taking vitamins if you need them to supplement and getting your water and all of that kind of stuff, which is important for everybody. But even more important as you get older. Um, another thing that's really important too is warm-ups as a part of your exercise. So warm-ups are good for any age, but you know, I have two teenage boys and I laugh because they'll just hop right into like right. what the full weight. And I look at them and I'm like, I think my legs would just break in half if I did that. Right. So like I have to stop and think like, okay, maybe my muscles need a little bit more warm-up now because I'm a little stiffer when I move than I used to be when I was younger. So looking at things like that, and then is your warm up appropriate for what you're doing? You know, like if your warm up is, you know, that you're going to do some lunges down the gym, but you're doing shoulder workout, well, that's not really warming up your shoulders as much as you want them to. So um, I think that's an important consideration too. Well, and what about cool down? Is, is cool down important also? Yeah, cool down is good too. Um, it's interesting because I was looking the other day at this, like a lot of the traditional workouts, at least the ones I had done, you'd have like warm up in the beginning and then you would work out and then cool down would end up being like abs, you know, we do abs at the end and maybe a little bit of stretching and that was about it. Um, but a lot of the research that's coming out on core strengthening talks more about, you know, it's a muscle just like the rest of your muscles. So that's something that should be trained like the rest of your muscles. It shouldn't be light. You've got to load it and you should be doing multiple sets instead of just one set at the end as a part of the cool down. So I think, um, you know, depending on how intense your workout session is, you it, cool down is important, but it's just maybe more of a light, like walking around if you did intense running or something like that. And then stretching. It's a good time to stretch because your muscles are warm at that point. That makes a lot of sense. So tell us 
how important you have an Instagram and we'll share that later, but it's eat, love, lift. So tell us how important diet is when it comes to training. Yeah, diet's really everything. And it's funny because um, a lot of the people who will ask me about what they should do to be in better shape and be healthier, really their focus is how do I lose weight? You know, that's what a lot of people are right. concerned about and that's what they're thinking about. And, um, you know, some of the common misconceptions are that, well, if I do a lot of sit-ups, I'll lose weight in my waist, you know, because that's the part I'm working out. So that's where it will come from. Or, you know, that if they just work out a whole bunch, they can out train a bad diet. And unfortunately, that's just not true because about 80% of your results are going to come from what you eat. So diet is everything. Um, and then, you know, you'll see people say, okay, well, I want to lose weight, so I'm just going to cut a bunch of calories. Well, that's not always the best either because you've got to watch what you're eating, not just how much you're eating especially if you're trying to build muscle and you need, you know, proper building blocks for the muscle to build. So making sure that you get a nice balanced diet, looking at, you know, what kind of macronutrients you're getting even before a workout is good. Um, and then recovery afterwards. So it makes a difference. Well, you know, one of the things that I like to tell people about diet is that, you know, we have to, we have to eat to live. We cannot go without eating, but we can go without lifting or running or, or exercise. We can go without exercise. I'm not going to say it's not going to make us healthier, but we won't die if we don't exercise. So diet trumps exercise. And even when you look at the top caliber athletes, whether it be endurance athletes or whether it be a bodybuilder, their main focus, like you said, even you know, you said 80% of, of it is diet and, and maybe you're talking about the average person, but I think even with a, with a high caliber athlete or maybe even more so, um, more than 80% is probably diet. What are, you, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, definitely, especially if you're looking to develop a lot of power and really building the muscle. Yeah, and more of it could be there. I think that um, diet is maybe maybe this is my opinion, but maybe a little harder to change than working out, like sticking in a workout that might be a little easier than having to say, gosh, I can't have chocolate cake every day anymore. You know, like that to me, the sticking in, okay, well I'll run so I can still have my cake, but it, it just doesn't work that way. Um, so I think that people don't necessarily want to change the habits that they have for eating, or maybe they do, but if you try and do any you know, research on what's out there in terms of like diet and advice, there is so much that contradicts each other. It is so confusing. So like, let's say you have somebody who's like, okay, I get it. It's not just the training. I need diet. I need to support my body in, in putting on muscle um, or losing weight. And they're like, okay, let's see what I should do. And they research it. It's just, it's crazy. It's confusing. Um, and you know, one study contradicts another study and then you have to look at what kind of participants they used, who paid for the study to be done. Um, you know, there's just so much out there. So it's, it's a lot. It's kind of overwhelming. Well, speaking of that, let, let, let's try to make it less complicated. So if you were going to teach somebody really quick in one or two sentences, what would you tell them about, about, about diet? Well, something I would say is number one. Um, you got to make sure you have enough protein because protein is going to be kind of your building block for the muscle. It's what muscles are primarily made out of. 
And so you want to feed the muscle if you're looking to not only to build muscle, but even just to lose weight. Because about 20 to 30% of the calories you intake from protein, those um, are, are used in just uh, breaking down the protein that you eat. So protein is important. It helps you feel full. So that's something important. Um, I personally have cut out all sugar, added sugar from my diet. I don't think you have to cut out all sugar, but I would say avoiding excess sugar, the refined sugar as much as possible is good. It's addictive. It'll make you feel hungry when you're not hungry. And then it causes blood sugar crashes um, after you have it. So it's just, I found it's better to avoid it and just get the, the natural sugars from fruits. Um, and then another piece, which is, is interesting, is a lot of people used to look at the timing of when they ate. But um, the research has shown that overall, it's not as important to maybe before and after a workout it is. But like, if you eat later at night or earlier at the morning, it's not as important. You don't have to um, avoid eating late at night. It's just what you're eating overall, if you're getting the proper nutrients for what your body needs, depending on your training that you're doing. Because obviously somebody who's training a lot is going to need a lot more calories and nutrients than somebody who's not. So I guess that was a very long one or two sentences. <laughs> to sum it all up overall, I think you need to look at the quality of what you're eating. Um, I recommend, especially anybody that's just starting this to track their calories because it's really enlightening when you start looking at how much you eat every day. So you kind of just keep an eye on it, have an overall goal as to, you know, what, how many calories you're having, and then make sure those calories you're getting, they're not just sugar or processed food calories. Try and eat as many, you know, whole fruits and vegetables, shop on the outside of the grocery store, not as much in the aisles, and um, cook homemade whenever you can. I think that's a good tip right there is just eat, eat whole foods. Um, you know, shop the outside of the aisles, eat whole foods. If it doesn't rot, don't eat it. Um, so, and, and I think that's going to be a lot, you're going to be a lot better off than if you um, eat processed foods because a lot of those processed foods have a lot of added sugar, and they're just not satisfying, satiating. Um, whereas if you eat real food, just like you're talking about fruit, you know, the keto people will tell you how bad fruit is for you. Um, but the reality of it is, I mean, I, you know, even if apple, an apple does have sugar in it, I dare somebody to eat too many apples. I just, I, I think it's very difficult. I mean, I love apples and I can't eat more than one usually because you're just full after one. Yeah, they've got the fiber and the water in them, so it really helps you up. Yeah, I mean, I think with keto, you know, I have some friends who have done keto. My sister did keto for a while. Um, and I think for them, you know, they're really trying to keep their body in that state of the ketoacidosis to keep burning the fat. So they're looking at it from that perspective. And I've seen it work for people. But the problem is, you know, are you really able to sustain that for the rest of your life? Right. And not, um, it's hard to keep, you know, the results that you had while you're on it, because once you start eating the carbs again, that's your body's preferred source of fuel. And so it's been starved from those for a while. So then it's going to start burning those up and packing on the fat to save for later when it's anticipating you're going to cut them again. Yeah. And the key, the keto people will tell you that glucose is not our preferred preferred source of energy and they'll say that ketones are and i just I, i'm not buying that i still i still think that whether it be you know 
glucose from our food, so carbohydrates from our food, or um, glycogen from our our glycogen stores, which breaks down into carbohydrates, is still our our preferred form of fuel because it glucose is still our major source of energy. And um, sometimes people don't want to admit that, the keto people anyway. True, yeah. But see, the whole thing is that if you have the sugars and the carbohydrates available, the glucose available for your body to break down, that's usually what it goes to first. That's why they have to cut it out as a part of the keto diet. Otherwise, they wouldn't develop the state that it's in and be able to burn off the ketones as opposed to the, the glucose. So I don't know. It's interesting. The diets, the fad diets, um, I think are always interesting. I had my best friend last year um, got married and she was asking about a diet before her wedding to cut some weight. And she was asking specifically about intermittent fasting and my thoughts on that. Um, and so usually when I get questions on that kind of stuff, if I haven't tried it, I like to try it myself first before recommending or not. I can read what the research says. I know what other people have said, but I like to, to try it myself and just see. Um, I actually liked that better than some of the others because you're not just cutting out a food group, but I think, um, you know, I think the, the way that that works is more that you're limiting like the late night snacking, right? Which is where, people are eating a lot of sugary stuff right before they go to bed. Um, and so you're cutting out kind of that part and limiting the time period. There's, you know, theories on letting your digestive system rest and, um, the benefits of that. And then that you're supposed to have, um, more energy and that kind of stuff. So I don't know that I felt more energy, but I think it did help with being able to restrict the amount of calories just because you're not eating over such a big spread of time. Once your body gets used to it, it wasn't so difficult. Um, but as long as you're keeping track of eating healthy stuff during that period of time and not just saying, okay, well, I'm strictly eating during six hours a day, but I'm going to eat whatever I want, then, you know, that's kind of a good go-to diet that doesn't completely cut out a food group. Well, I have seen people that do intermittent fasting and they, what do they call it? 20 and four or whatever, if you can eat four hours a day or whatever. And sometimes in that four hours a day, they just eat complete junk. And and that, that to me, doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, you know, I, I, I still think you should focus on good, high quality, satiating foods, just real food. And I will tell you, I think intermittent fasting is probably, if we can call it a fad diet, it's probably one of the ones that I would recommend the most. And I kind of do it myself, depending on my workout schedule. Um, I mostly fast 16 hours a day, um, but sometimes 24, depending on my workout schedule. And, you know, if you look at ancestrally speaking, um, we routinely fasted for days at a time. That's why we're good for at storing fat, because we had to, you know, store it as fuel um, for energy. Um, so I think Fasting makes the most sense because, you know, there were, we used to go days without eating when we were hunters and gatherers. We might have a little bit of calories from berries or something like that, but until we had a big hunt, we wouldn't have um, a lot of calories. So um, I think fasting makes the most sense um, for our bodies overall. Yep. Yep. I would definitely agree. I was, uh, I had started this whole thing, the Eat Love Lift with a Facebook site. So back in the beginning of that, I had done kind of a focus weeks and I did one on different diets and I was looking at some of the older diets that, you know, they're not popular anymore. Like Atkins, people don't do that quite as much as they used to. Um, 
And if you look at what people did on those diets, it was pretty easy to see that it wasn't going to stick around forever. Because I remember uh, I had a friend who we went to a wedding and she was eating prime rib and she's like, I can't have this potato that goes with it because I'm doing Atkins. She's like, can I have all the fat that you just cut off the outside of your steak? I'm going to eat that instead of my potato. And I just remember at the time thinking how disgusting that was. Um, <laughs> but it's amazing. I mean, these things, you know, they became popular because they worked for a period of time. And then, and then you look at like, Oh God, what's happening to somebody's cholesterol after they're doing things like that. It's definitely not good. Well, and by the same token, keto, I think keto and Atkins is pretty close to each other. And, um, you know, when people add extra butter to to their food or or take a spoonful or a tablespoon of butter to to get themselves into keto, that to me doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, calories are still calories. And I know the keto haters will say something about that, but but it's true. I mean, calories are still calories. So you're going to add extra butter to your coffee or whatever, and you think that's going to help you lose weight? I mean, now, if you if you are truly going into ketosis for health reasons, like you have seizures or something like that, that's a or or you know for can, anti cancer properties, that's totally different. But for weight loss, if you're throwing extra fat in there to go keto, I don't think that's going to help you lose weight. Yeah, and even if it does, what is it doing to your body? You know what I mean? Like, there's other things than just losing weight. There's like what is now happening to your blood pressure or your cholesterol or things like when you have that much. Um, but I do want to like, cause I, I probably, a lot of people are going to be annoyed at, <laughs> at not bashing any diets. I think, um, anybody trying any diet good for you, I feel like you should buy yourself on the, because it's way better than the people that are out there. Like, eh, I can't do it. You know, I'm, I'm just not even going to bother to try. So I think anybody doing anything is good, but I just think there's better ways and there's worse ways, um, to do things. I had uh, actually looked at some of the research, which was interesting, on cholesterol and food. I don't know if you've seen any of that. Um, because, yeah, way back in the day, they used to say, you know, egg whites and margarine and don't eat anything yeah. like has the fats in it. And then, um, you know, obviously that was the recommendation doctors were giving and um, low cholesterol diets. And then they found that the majority of people don't really respond in a big way to the dietary cholesterol that you're eating. Um, there was a group of people that are called hyper responders that they did respond to like the dietary um, cholesterol that was intaken, but the majority of people didn't have a big response one way or another to the cholesterol that was eaten. So it's kind of interesting. Um, I had done a post in the beginning about egg yolks because yeah, for a long time, it was like, just eat egg whites. And you could buy like those containers of just egg whites yeah. in the store. But then you're missing all the good nutrition that's in the yolk. Um, and people were saying, well, my cholesterol, whatever. But the majority of people, like I said, they ended up being fine eating that stuff. So it's interesting. But if you were somebody who's a hyper responder, you're doing keto and you're putting a bunch of butter in your coffee, that might not be great. Well, and I, I, I'm with you. I, the only diet I'm against is the sad diet, the standard American diet. That's the only diet I don't think people should follow. I'm, I'm not a big fan of vegan. Um, I think that we should get most of our protein from, from meat. I think red meat especially has so many good properties and is so nutrient dense. Um, other than that, I'm with you. You got to find out what diet works for you. And, and if, if keto works for you, then great. Um, cause I'm all for, you know, finding a diet that works for you. And especially since obesity is, 
you know, kills more Americans than anything. Um, you know, any way that you can find a diet to help you lose weight and maintain um, a good, healthy body weight, I'm all for that. Yeah. Oh, you know what else I think is interesting and is going to become more and more of a thing is these medications, the um, injections that they have that have come out for fat loss, which is actually, you know, an off-label side effect of diabetes medication. Um, but the amount of weight loss they're seeing on these drugs is really, is really huge. So my boyfriend actually works in um, the HR department and he's the manager of employee benefits for a health system. And we've been talking about these a lot lately because his um, internal plan covered them for weight loss. And it was, they're so expensive that they're cutting them this year. And he's been having to announce to all the employees that they're not going to cover those anymore. And they're, they're really upset about them. So we've been having discussions about, um, you know, the effects of those. And uh, his point is like, well, you know, what happens if you go to another place to work and they're not covered? The research on those shows that, yeah, it's, you're getting a lot of weight loss from them. But the second you stop taking them, because you're not changing any habits and you're not, um, you're not learning any, you know, new patterns, behavioral patterns that they're putting the weight right back on. And some are even putting on more than they took off to begin with. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, because those drugs are that really successful at causing weight loss. If more and more people start to get on those versus trying some of the fad diets. Well, Obviously, as you know, being a pharmacist, we've been getting lots of calls about those things. And I'm all for any way somebody can lose weight, you know, because being overweight is more dangerous than the drug. True. But, but again, long term, you've got to change your habits. And um, if you don't change your habits, then you're going to just put the weight back on. And there is... There is one of those drugs now that I believe actually is FDA approved and indicated for weight loss. Um, but ultimately, it doesn't make sense why, pharmacologically speaking, why it makes you lose weight is considering it stimulates insulin, which is anabolic and, you know, cause a lot of metabolic problems if you have too much insulin. But that being said, um, I think one of the, the side, one of the side effects is that drug is nausea, like semaglutide. It causes a lot of nausea. Well, I wonder if people are eating as much because it causes nausea. Ser I mean, serious question. Yeah. No, that's an interesting thought. And if that is the case, do you really want to take that forever and have the nausea side effect forever? Right, right. I mean, ultimately, and I know I'm going to get some people that don't like this idea, but ultimately, you got to change your habits. And, you know, I call it hyperactive fork syndrome. And in America, it's rampant. I mean, most of us eat too much because we have an unlimited food supply. Um, so, you know, maybe a drug to help short term, but long term, you have to change your habits. I saw something somewhere. I can't remember where it was, but um, it was comparing the size of a plate over in Europe to the size of a plate. Yeah. And I think it's just really it's really interesting because I don't I think to us, our plates seems normal, the large plate. It encourages large portion sizes. If you're not paying attention, measuring what you eat or, um, you know, looking at a comparison to like the size of your hand or whatever, it's really easy to just put a lot on there and just overeat. Um, and I think as time has gone on, we eat bigger and bigger portions. We're busier and busier. So we're paying less attention half the time we're eating on the run when we're you know going from one place to another. And I just think unless you're really focused on it, it's it's so easy to 
not pay attention to that and then end up somewhere you don't want to be with your weight. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Jen, as we wind up this podcast, first of all, I appreciate you being on. You've got a wealth of knowledge about um, fitness, health, diet, exercise. Um, I want you to tell us what your passion is. What do you have a passion for? Um, actually, I know it's going to sound super cheesy, so you can laugh at me, but I really like to help people. I think that's why I got into physical therapy to begin with. And so kind of my hope with this Eat, Love, Lift was to be able to reach kind of a wider range of people and give some kind of advice. A lot of my stuff is on the workouts that I've created. Um, and I try to make a real, real um, different and um, kind of some of them fun because I think if you can keep fitness different, fun, um, you're more likely to stick with it for a longer period of time. And so I think I just, I just kind of hope that I can even inspire one or two more people to get excited about fitness, to get excited about their diet, you know, to start feeling better as they start to see results and maybe change their lifestyle. And if so, then, then I feel good about it. Awesome. I love it. So here's your Instagram. Um, tell us a little bit about your Instagram if somebody wants to get a hold of you. Yep. So you can you can send me a direct message on Instagram to get a hold of me. That's probably the easiest way. Um, I also have a Facebook page that's Eat Love Lift on Facebook as well. So you can send me messages through there. Um, and I'm happy to respond and give you advice and help you however I can. Jen, well, thank you so much um, for being on today. Our goal of at Health Solutions is to educate and empower individuals to take charge of their own health. And you've helped us realize that goal. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And listeners and viewers, thank you for tuning in to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Tune in Thursday for our midweek podcast scheduled 8 to 9 um, a.m. Pacific Standard Time. So we'll see you all later. Thank you. 